Welcome to the IC Disc Show. Interviews with business owners, industry leaders, and tax experts sharing how the IC Disc can benefit your bottom line profits. Check out the show notes at icdiscshow.com. This show is brought to you by the IC Disc Alliance. Discover how the premier IC Disc consulting firms support you at icdisc.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of the IC Disc Show. My guest today is Mark Wade, the president and founder of Echelon Virtual Family Office. They work with families who have a need for family office services, but whose uh, net worth does not justify having a standalone family office. So they serve these families and add a lot of value. And we had a great interview talking about some of the things they do to add value. And then we also talked about an interesting structure that they are familiar with around leveraging life insurance through premium financing in what he describes as a, quote, modern structure. Uh, I have some familiarity with premium finance life insurance, but Mark's approach is really interesting. We also talked about things he wish he had known when he was younger and advice he would have given himself. So this is a great episode for really anybody who has accumulated uh, several million dollars of wealth or more, who's interested in learning more about the options available to them to manage their wealth. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How are you today? I am great. So where are you Where are you calling in from today? What part of the world are you in? Today, we're calling in from sunny Venice, Florida on the Gulf Coast. Venice. Okay. What's the nearest large city that Venice is near or larger? 20 miles south of Sarasota. Okay. Excellent. And, uh, I love that. That's the largest city. I love that part of uh, Florida. It's, so it's, um, it's a nice I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a sequential learner. I like to kind of start in the beginning. Uh, are you a native Floridian or are you from somewhere else? I, you know, I have. I was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, and lived my childhood in New Jersey. And as I, when I graduated college, since then I've been in all over the country, coast to coast. I've spent part of my corporate career, my earlier corporate career, west of the Mississippi, headquartered out of out of Florida, where I'm sorry, out of California, where I ran west of the Mississippi for one of the major brokerage firms. And then in, when I went independent in 1999, relocated back to the East Coast again. So I'm okay. currently a Florida resident. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm a, a Texan and it's like Texas and Florida seem to be like kindred uh, spirits. You know, the similar philosophies on a lot of things and with a fair amount of, of Gulf Coast beach front. That's right. So talk to me about uh, Echelon Virtual Family Office. Uh, what's the history? What made you uh, start it? Uh, who are you set up to serve? Uh, tell me the story. Yeah, great. So Echelon Virtual Family Office really started uh, in 19, uh, as a estate and succession planning firm. Okay. Uh, 
Business owners have been uh, our focus uh, for many years, though we do serve some, at this point, quite a few uh, C-level corporate executives, uh, upper-level corporate executives, and retirees from both the business world and the corporate world. So Echelon Virtual Family Office is an evolution of that original practice. And you know, as a virtual family office, most people have heard of the Rockefellers and they've heard of the Vanderbilts and you know the Rockefellers got it right and unfortunately the Vanderbilts didn't. And they, meaning the Rockefellers, really came up with the concept of a virtual family office. You want me to just give a brief rundown yeah, of what a please. family office does? Yeah, please do that. For those that might not have heard of it or are not that familiar with it. So <clears throat> the Rockefellers figured out years ago that instead of sourcing a variety of outside professionals. Instead of going to outside attorneys and accountants and real estate people and mortgage people and bankers and so on and so forth, you know, John Rockefeller figured out that he could just go ahead and hire all those people inside because he created enough wealth in order to do that. Nowadays, by the way, to create your own family office, it makes sense when you have about $250 million of net worth. Okay. Much below that, a family might employ the services of a multi-family office, which is where a variety of people, a multitude of people uh, who typically have about 50 million and larger uh, mm -hmm. would use the same services of a family office that is a for-profit family office. So some mm -hmm. of the people from the private family office one day said, well, we could do this and earn a living at it. As our as a standalone company, so they created a virtual a, a multifamily office. And for the last ten years, myself and a, a mastermind group that I belong to, there's about 220 of us now. Uh, we started working on this concept of bringing family office services. So it's really all of those core services that everybody knows: accounting, legal real estate, banking, mortgage, investments, so on and so forth. Everyone's familiar with those. But some of the more esoteric ones or some of the more uh, more specialized ones like personal security, trademark law, international banking. So some of the more sophisticated family services, not and to include some of the tax-driven ones, you know, specific types of tax strategy, now, we are able now to source those on behalf of our clients and provide a network of national experts that are part of our virtual family office and bring those down to clients. We say typically a business owner or a, or a retired executive or you know, an existing corporate, we are able to bring that down to where it really starts to make sense for individuals at about the $10 million level. Okay. We figure at about a $10 million level, we can really start driving some what we call true and meaningful value to the bottom line. We can start making a huge difference for those families uh, in a variety of different ways and to provide some economies of scale to it because you know when they're when these specialists are part of our virtual family office, uh, they're used to deal flow from us, and so they give our clients some consideration. So, okay. so that's the idea from two hundred and fifty million to fifty. Okay, pretty much the same types of services that were offered to the people at two fifty. Okay, no, well, thank you for that. That makes sense. And so it sounds like you just identified a need in the market uh, in that ten to fifty million dollar net worth range where the this virtual family office made more sense for people there or 
was more attractive than a multifamily office structure. Is that about right? Yeah, clearly. Once <clears throat> once you so I should tell you, we have clients today that are five million because they have specific needs that we can address expeditiously and cost effectively. So we have clients that are smaller than 10 million, but typically our clients are 10 million net worth and larger. And we have them all the way up to 165 million. So, but you're kind of right. The way you described it, we're able to bring under a family or an individual with, with less than 50 million, we're able to bring them those family office services that only, you know, the private family offices used to be able to source in the past. Okay. So I love stories. And uh, so could you give us like, think of a, and obviously you don't need to share the name of the client, but you know, think of a client where your service really a difference. Can you, you know, does one come to mind that you could kind of give a little bit of the background, what their pain point was, uh, how you were able to, you know, make a substantial improvement in their situation? Yeah. So, you know, but you know, so it's relevant to a wider swath of people. Instead of talking about the exceptional ones, I'll, I won't okay. do that. I'm okay. going to talk about. I'm going to talk about what we commonly see. Okay, that sounds good. I can tell because it may be more relevant to, like I said, to a wider swath of people. And so, I cannot remember the last time we had somebody show up if they have ever shown up, and they have had all their financial work done all their legal work done, coordinate, and I'm talking about their personal, Mm -hmm. and have coordinated that successfully with their business or corporate world. Because it's the marriage of the personal and business, financial, and legal affairs. That's where the real, that's where the real magic happens, right? Okay. Uh, and, And when you think about it, when was the last time, Dave, when was the last time Somebody sat down and said to you, Dave, I just exited a meeting with my accountant and my attorney and my banker and my pension plan manager and our insurance specialist. And we just sat down and talked for hours about me. It just doesn't happen. And so it's the coordination and the direction of all that effort from those various providers that's what drives, like we say, the true and meaningful value for our clients. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say that in the areas of wanting to unlock the value, if they're a, if they're a business owner, wanting to unlock the value, the equity they've created in their firm, whether it's for further investment, for personal investment, or because they're looking to secede, they're looking to transfer the ownership. Whether, whether it's a strategic sale to an outside buyer, whether it's a internal sale to employees or a succession to family members, you know, there's a tremendous amount of value that's derived from that process. Okay. In the pre-sale value creation and unlocking that value, and then to the in the process marketing of an entity, to the all right, so now I've collected this, let's just put a number on it, 10, 20 million dollars or whatever the number is, and I've gotten my liquidity event. Now what do I do? And it's not just it's not just the deployment of the assets. It's really, now what do I do? I mean, I can't play golf every day. Mm-hmm. I I can't go on the round the world vacation all year long every year. What do I do? 
it's the next step is what's their next what's the next project for them because oftentimes that's what it is successful business owners find it extremely difficult to just turn off the computer and walk away sure sure of course of course okay well thank you well that is helpful what what do you find the most satisfying about your role with the company that's a great question wow well you know, Dave, this is the only thing I've done for 44 years, over 44 years. I've, I've only ever done what I do today. Okay. And as a lot of your associates probably are able to say, we don't do this anymore because we have to do it for the money. We do it for a lot of other reasons too. And part of which is it, it's kind of in our being and who we are and it's how we self-fulfill, right? Uh a lot of the lot of the drive behind doing what I do today is making a difference. And it sounds kind of corny, but it really does. After 44 years of doing tax strategy and financial advising and business exit strategy <laughs> and retirement planning and all the different planning subspecialties that fall into that, we don't do it just for the money. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to be paid well, but it's the impact that we have and the lives that we affect oftentimes for people we will never meet because they're people in the future. Right. They're the heirs of people that we'll never meet. And lots of times it's the heirs of, of, of the clients. They'll never meet them either. So sure. Sure. it's that knowing that we have had that kind of impact. That's an intergenerational impact is a hundred percent. 100% that does it for me nowadays. And it's solving oftentimes these complex and, and comprehensive problems that you really have to have a lot of time in the barrel and a lot of experience and, and a really deep bench of people to rely on. You know, those complex and, and complicated problems oftentimes are the ones that make or break a family's future. So helping to walk clients through that process. It's painting a, a renaissance picture from the standpoint of you have an idea what it's going to end like, you have an idea mm -hmm. of where you're going, but the interrelational family dynamics take you left and right. And sometimes it backs you up and sometimes it moves you. Yeah. But going through that process, it's so rewarding to see the impact you've had on a family and oftentimes it's it's problems that some families don't deal with. And oftentimes it's issues that a lot of families deal with. Sometimes it's we have to deal with substance abuse issues and helping our clients get the right help there. I mean, we've had opportunities where well, just recently, you know, this Afghan war, right? The the withdrawal out of Afghanistan. We had a corporate client where we shipped a couple million dollars overseas and a couple talented and rough guys parachuted into Afghanistan to pick up this guy's daughter who was doing a medical mission for the local population somewhere in the hills. And this whole thing kind of exploded mm -hmm. quicker than they can expect. And a couple of guys went and rescued this woman from Afghanistan. So and right down to helping our clients prepare their children to accept this kind of responsibility themselves in the future. You know, wealth comes with its own issues. Yeah. Uh, 
many of our clients are self-made people. Many of our clients sure. created their wealth or increased family wealth. And so now how do you prepare your children and grandchildren to carry that on, right? So there's just a variety of things that we get involved with by introducing our clients to the appropriate specialists in those areas. Like okay. I said, we have over 60 in our, our network now. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that color. I'd like to drill down into a subject that I know a little bit about, but your firm seems to have a little different approach to that I would just like to, to talk about. And that's premium financed life insurance. So can you start by, for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, what it is and kind of what the, the purpose of it is, and then kind of get into the strategy that you all take that's maybe a little different than some others? Yeah. So, you know, people think about life insurance and they say, oh, I don't like life insurance or I don't believe in life insurance. And we get it because let's face it, the only people that really want to want life insurance are oftentimes the ones who can't have it. Right, right. They find themselves in a position and they say, oh, man, I really should have life insurance because this is a problem now. And for whatever the reason, health or otherwise, they don't qualify for it anymore. But in all other cases that I can think of, you know, life insurance is just a tool, right? It's just another tool. And people say, Mark, what's the good life insurance versus the bad life insurance? And we say, well, oftentimes it's not a matter of what's good life insurance or bad life insurance. It's policy design is oftentimes a critical factor. But more often than not, if we just say life insurance is a tool, mm-hmm. it all comes down to the mechanic. Okay. Right? Okay. Do you you use the life insurance in the proper way for what it was intended? And do you design the policy correctly, meaning the agent and, and the tax specialist? Do you design the policy correctly? Do you own it correctly? Do you fund it correctly? And then later on, do you access the money correctly? So let's go back to that third one, the funding element. If we know that it's a tool and life insurance does many things, it's kind of like a Swiss army knife. What do we need to, for it to do today? Well, today we need a death benefit or, you know, maybe we're going to need it for a, you know, you know who some of the largest owners of life insurance are? They're Fortune 500 companies and, and banking institutions. You know, banking institutions and Fortune 500 companies, they own this stuff because it's part of what they call their tier one capital. And in the banking world, a bank's tier one capital is that money that has to be the safest and the most protected. And so what do banks use for that? Oftentimes, they use life insurance. They use Boley, bank-owned life insurance. In the the corporate world, they use Coley, corporate-owned life insurance. So if we know that it's just a tool and we know that how you pay for it is very important, and it circles back to your premium financing, you know, what are the ways you can do it? You can pay for your life insurance out of assets. You can pay for your life insurance uh, through a corporation and those where that's applicable. Uh, and that becomes less and less effective nowadays. But nevertheless, there are still great opportunities to do that. Uh, or you can have somebody else make the premium payments for you. And that's where premium finance life insurance comes in. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it involves it involves having arrangement with a banking institution. And the banks love this. Because from their perspective, financing a life insurance policy is a guaranteed investment. Yeah. For the obvious reason why. Sure. None of us is leaving here without passing away. 
Right. You know, at right. some point we're right. all going to pass away. So it's a guaranteed investment for them. So banks are, are typically <clears throat> very interested in, in financing these life insurance uh, policies. Banks have gotten significantly intelligent. They, they look for certain types of policies that do certain things with the right provisions and the right protections for them and own the proper way. So premium finance, there's a lot of different types of premium finance out there. And there have been different different scenarios for years. They come and go as the markets shift and the winds shift along with interest rates and so forth. But one, one of these purposes that we see in life insurance, our clients really warming up to the concept of premium finance nowadays is in the wealth creation process. So we know life insurance provides a death benefit. And -hmm. oftentimes you can get the bank to provide financing so you can buy more death benefit than you might be able to or might want to pay for all on your own. Sure. Uh, But another, another more popular way nowadays well, maybe equally popular, but certainly has risen in popularity is in the wealth creation process, whereby you can have a bank add additional premium dollars to your premium dollars, and those monies accumulate inside that policy for you on a tax-deferred basis, right? Because insurance companies, they get treated specially from all other corporations in the world. So, And then so that money multiplies inside the policy for the benefit uh, of the owner and eventually the beneficiaries at some day. But as those policy values grow and grow, because part of it's your money and a much larger part is the bank's money in there, you get to earn money on the bank's money. And it's really an arbitrage between interest rates, right? It's how much is the bank charging me to borrow the money versus how much can I earn on that money? And so we've been, you know, we've been really fortunate over the last two decades to have tremendous positive arbitrage on the on those premium dollars and our clients have enjoyed tremendous policy cash value increase which then they have been able to borrow on the back end which is one of the preferred ways to do it to borrow your own money out and pay yourself back you know right right so so the various flavors of being able to borrow that money uh, some financing scenarios where you sign a personal loan at the bank mm-hmm. and you provide collateral and the bank can call you at any time and say, hey, you need to increase that collateral because mm-hmm. markets have moved against you and we need more money to shore up our policy cash value. Right. And then there are those, those type of policies out there. Now, uh, the newer designs, the financing scenario says, hey, for the first five years, you put up half and we'll put up half. So let's use a, a $50,000 premium. So for the first five years, David, you put up $25,000 a year, and we, the bank, will put up $25,000 a year. And at the end of five years, your commitment is done. You don't have to put any more money into this policy. But for the next five years, so from years six to 10, we'll put in the $50,000 on your behalf. We'll add that additional premium dollars on your behalf. So it works out typically where the bank puts in about and these are just approximate numbers. It depends on age and health. Well, the bank might put in 70% of the premium dollars. You might put in 30. And then at the end of 15 years, so a five-year period, a five-year period. So the first five-year period, you yeah. share in 
depositing premiums. The second five years, the bank puts in the premium dollar. And then the third five years, that money just sits there and marinates and percolates and hopefully continues to grow like it has over the last you know couple of decades. Uh, and then at the end of 15 years, the bank will say, okay, we're going to take our premium dollars back now with the interest that has accrued. You get everything else left in the policy. Okay. So that is an extremely popular scenario that has worked incredibly well for our clients. And it's amazing the wealth that can be accumulated inside these policies to access later on, either through withdrawal while the client's alive, or typically what's more effective is a policy loan while the client's alive, a loan that the client presumably will never pay back. And when a client passes away, it just comes out of the death benefit. Right. So, so here's the beauty. The beauty is these more, these newer, more effective designs. The client signs no loan for the bank's premium contribution. The client puts up no collateral for the bank's premium contribution. The policy itself is all the bank needs in the way of collateral. Gotcha. So the bank has what's called a collateral assignment against it. Mm-hmm. While its money is also all yours. Yep. And then, so would this be like a 10 pay policy? Like there's, you know, contractually 10 years of payments. Is that typically what it is? Or is that payment duration dependent on market forces? What's the typical? That 10 year structure is the typical structure. Okay. The only reason why it would be different is if the client wanted it to be different, really. Couldn't be shorter. Because of the modified endowment contract. Yeah, well said. You can only get so much cash into those things in a short period of time. So that's the whole idea is to front load the deposits as quickly as you can while while not violating any tax code, Tamra Defra. So, yeah, so that's exactly right. So it must be 10 years. You could fund it in five years, but then you wouldn't get the other five years of the bank's contribution. Exactly. Right. And, that's and you'd likely hit and you'd likely hit the MEC parameters if you just funded it for five years, right? It's possible. Yeah. It depends on depending on health and age. Yeah. And because you know, these policies are flexible, you can always adjust the death benefit to to make it work. Yeah. But you know, the the real magic there is in the bank's share of contribution to that policy. Yeah. Yeah, five years, you share, you put money in, the bank puts money in. The second five years, only the bank puts money in. The third five years, it just continues to grow. And at the end of 15 years, the bank takes their money out and it's all yours. The the sums that have been accumulated in these policies has been astronomical. Really, it's a very effective way to do it without having to commit collateral or sign a bank loan. Yeah. It's the bank uses the policy as the entire collateral required. Yeah. No, it's really an interesting uh, approach. Has you'd mentioned how effective they've been the last 20 years because of that positive arbitrage between interest rates and earnings. So, what are the thinking? How's that going to change now that we're in a higher interest rate environment and at least for the time being a lower? earnings environment. It seems like that arbitrage has flipped the other way. What? How does that still work then in that scenario? Well, here's what we know. We know that some of the smartest, some of the smartest people out there in the finance world work for insurance companies and banks, right? 
Yeah. These, these people, they don't lose money. Insurance companies don't lose money typically, at least not in the life insurance business. And to my knowledge, no banks have ever lost money financing any of these policies. So really that just leaves the policy, the holder, right? The, the person who's going to benefit from the actual policy itself and their heirs. And I can tell you this, the insurance companies, they don't underwrite things that are not going to work. Uh, and the banks will not invest their capital in things that are not going to work. Yes, interest rates have risen precipitously and nobody knows in the near term what will happen because it's everything's a speculation today. You know, the expectation is maybe they're going to bump rates up one or two more times before they start reversing course. Mm -hmm. And hopefully by the end of 2024, they see rates coming down, but it's all speculation. It's all just what we hear from the experts. But long term, I can tell you over over rolling 10 year periods, you know, still what's one of the safest, what's one of the most consistent places that you can have capital, you know, great dividend paying stocks. You know, the wonderful corporations of America, uh, you're the small business owner who is uh, competent, effective, and willing to assume some risk of owning his own business uh, has always been a tremendous way to do it. Rental, real estate, you know, other than those three things, what do you really have? So I mean, you have to deploy capital somewhere. And that being the case, having, and by the way, the type of policies that have proven to be most effective or effective today in this area, you know, these indexed universal life policies where the, the underlying investments are tied to an, a, an investment index, most typical ones are the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. Yeah. You know, even in times of, of, of tremendous, you know, pressure on these markets, everyone will, every, academic will tell you and everybody who's in the securities business will say it's just hard to beat the long-term returns on america's best companies they continue to grow for a reason yeah well and that's why i think it was warren buffett that advised his heirs to just put all the money in index funds because when you look at the the cost and performance and yeah, I mean, it turns out that it's really hard to beat the market over a long period of time. We did have that thing called the lost decade. You know, just look at where we are today from then. Yeah. Right? Look at where the, where the market sits today from where it was in 2008 and nine. It's just staggering. Right. So so these type of policies, are, these are, it's like it's a great marriage because you can participate in the upward climb of the underlying markets of the S&P 500 or NASDAQ or whatever next or in, in these particular policies, you can participate in that, but you don't participate in the loss. And by right. that, I mean, you're, the effect of the market can only be positive on your policy. These policies are protected against a loss due to a market value adjustment, due to a down market. Your policy is either going to earn zero or some positive return. Mm -hmm. and you're not going to lose money because the market went down. Right. Well, that a, a negative market value adjustment, a downward market, a guarantee against a negative market value adjustment. And, and B, just there we go. Here's our video back. And B, they know you're going to pass away at some point. And, and right. the worst case scenario is they're going to collect when you pass away. Yeah. If you die in less than 15 years, they'll collect. That's correct. 
That's correct. So it's a win for the banks. And of course, the insurance companies always make money. Sure. So, so, so you, so the really the, the downside when we look at this is what else would we do with our money? The opportunity costs. Yeah. You know, what else would we do with our money if we didn't have it invested into America's greatest companies? If we didn't invest in our own business and our own abilities. Okay. Or an investment in real estate. And if you remember in 2008 and nine, the stock market and real estate plummeted at the same time. Right. It was the first time what we call the uncoupling of those assets. Typically, real estate goes up and the market goes down. Market goes up, real estate. You know, typically, there's some, there's, they're linked in some way, shape. Or, well, this time they were linked. All right. They both went down dramatically. Yeah. Okay. So I can't believe how the time has flown by. I've got just a couple more questions before we wrap yeah, up. Yeah. What do you wish you knew when you were 25? Wow. I or, wish- or I, if you could go back and here's the way I meant to phrase it. If you could go back in time and give advice to your 25-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Confidence. Okay. What do you mean? Knowledge. Well, have confidence in yourself. Okay. Have confidence. Have confidence in your ability to learn. Always learn. Continue to learn and expand your mind. Don't draw yourself into this cone of specificity. This world has changed so many times. Have the confidence to be flexible. Have the confidence to step out and and do different things. Expand your knowledge. And, And then the other thing is you oftentimes don't know what you don't know, right? And it's sometimes it only comes with experience. And the wisdom comes from the experience that you've, you know, those experiences that you've endured along the way. Don't let that deter you. Uh, Dick Vitale has a great new book out called Never Give Up. Yeah. It's kind of of his story about persevering. I'm fortunate enough to be in that book. Oh, you are? I have one of the chapters in that book. I co-authored one of the chapters along with Dick Vitale. So and it's 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 a little bit about my story of never giving up. So have the confidence. I didn't know that I'd be able to do all the things I can do today when I was 20 or 25 years old. Okay. You just don't know. Sure. No, that's great. I love it. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? Well, I, I think we covered a couple extremely important topics. You know, we do have three other entities in addition to Echelon Virtual Family Office, uh, Echelon Asset Protection, Echelon Resource Teams. So there are a couple other companies that we could talk about at another time if your okay. audience uh, is interested. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you taking time out uh, this morning to talk to me. Uh, I really love your story. I love the advice you give to yourself. I really enjoyed learning more about this more modern structure of premium finance, where there's maybe not quite as much leverage upside, but there's a lot less downside for the participant in terms of no personal guarantee and uh, no collateral posting required. So thank you for that insight. And, And just for your time and your enthusiasm for what you do. So Thank you. David, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure being your guest today. And I wish you well in your podcast. Continued success. Thanks, Mark. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's I C 
www.dicshow.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.